This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Usually I have some announcements before every episode, but this time around, I don't have much because everything's come to a standstill because of the coronavirus. I guess my first announcement would be this. Be an excellent person and help out wherever you can help out, even if that means staying home and washing your hands, because that right there is pretty excellent. Also, I'm working on a t-shirt design because I've gotten multiple requests for t-shirts, so I'll be showing my progress on social media if you want to keep an eye out for that. Other than that, let's get right into it. In this episode, I meet with Maria Padacano from Sana Sana in Phoenix. We met last year and she prepared a mind-blowing, delicious meal for the occasion. Photos are at ToastedSisterPodcast.com, and Maria reads a recipe for Verde Smoothie in a couple minutes from now. That recipe is also at ToastedSisterPodcast.com. So Maria, can you introduce yourself for my audio here? Yes, I am Chef Maria Parracano with Sana Sana Foods. What does Sana Sana mean? Sana Sana means, um, in Spanish, means to heal, or sanar means to heal. And the name, our name came actually from uh, um, an old, I guess you could say, an old nursery rhyme that a lot of people would say like if a kid got hurt or somebody fell they would say sana sana colita de rana si no sana hoy sanara mañana meaning um get up it's okay if it doesn't heal today it'll heal tomorrow type thing you know and so when we came up with our name for for sana sana it was it was just that it was trying to heal the community through food and if it's not today it's going to be you know if not tomorrow soon hopefully to be able to heal and spread the message of using food as medicine. All right, so we were in the the Sana Sana food truck here, and um, tell me a little bit uh, about the things you're making here. There's a lot of things bubbling away right here. Yes, we have uh, tepary beans, which we source locally from uh, Ramona Farms. We also have a pozole, which is actually uh, puffed hominy or puffed corn, and it's actually my mom's recipe, except we do everything plant-based. So we focus on plant-based ancestral foods all using different ingredients such as cactus no, which are nopales uh, the beans the corn the squash you know using different elements that we culturally uh, know in different ways but then using my mom's traditional recipes and then just twisting them up a little bit and um, your mom is from Texcoco, mexico which is um, right outside of totihuacan which is where the pyramids are outside of mexico city so we, I identify as Chicana Indígena, being that I was born here in Arizona, but my lineage spans down to the Mexica people 
uh, Tehuan of Southern, of, of Texcoco. So um, there's a great mix of civilizations or tribes that were there that are still there, um, maybe less speaking their language, but we're trying to re reconnect and really just reclaim that lineage of within our family anyway. Uh, I just added the nopales to our pozole. I'm gonna be, I roasted up some chilies earlier, so we're gonna be um, cleaning those up. Some big um, poblano peppers. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna be filling those with a mixture of wild rice, amaranth, squash, mushrooms, onion, and garlic. And then we have a red chili sauce that you could put on top. Um, I'm also going to finish up making our, what I call our tostadas verdes, which is a combination of fresh nopales, roasted chilies, um, onion, cilantro, and lime, which goes really good with those, with, uh, with the blue corn chips that we like to use. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really good. I'm glad I rushed here all the way from <laughs> Albuquerque. <laughs> One of the big aspects with what we do is really trying to connect with our ancestry, my lineage personally, and just using as many um, ancestral ingredients as we can, like the tepary beans or the the corn, squash, things like that. Locally, we also use uh, different types of coffees, amaranth, which a lot of people don't know. Um, upon colonization and when the Spanish first came to the Mexico uh, area of Mexico, um, they outlawed amaranth because it was such a powerful food. It's a superfood, you know. For so another way to control people was to eliminate their food systems, and so that's what we're still recovering from right now and trying to find, you know, our traditional foods, ancestral foods, learning how to use them again, learning to see what works with our bodies as well, and just seeing what how we react to the food. We 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 know that when we eat highly processed foods or like super carbed meals, you feel it right afterwards. And that, so it's also learning how, what best foods are easily digestible by your body. So just kind of tweaking, making tweaks. A lot of people are lactose intolerant or gluten, have the gluten allergies, but because ancestrally that's not the food we would eat. And so we're just slowly learning and trying to help others learn what might work for them. And so sometimes you're stationed over at the um, the Herd Museum as sort of like an educational piece to the to the whole um, museum atmosphere there. What what's one thing maybe people are really surprised to learn about when you're there and when they're tasting your food out there? Yeah, they're usually surprised that it's plant based. A lot of times we talk to them and we say, well, you think you really miss the animal protein, right? And so they're shocked that it's plant based because to them they do feel um, like in the warmth of the pozole, the warmth of the beans, the different aspects that, you know, like a lot of the foods we make, I, I see them as my comfort food because they were my mom's food, you know? And so a lot of times they feel that connection, but they're just, you know, surprised to see that there's, or to know, to learn of, of indigenous ingredients that grow here in the Southwest or in, or in our, around Arizona, you know, like the tepary beans or things like that. So they're like, what, this girl's here? And, you know, how can I, how can I, where can I get some? And stuff. so that's where we actually started carrying our indigenous pantry in the truck too, so that we could help spread, not only support the local uh, farmers and producers, but also just share the education when we, wherever we set up. 
and say like you could use amaranth you could use quinoa popped quinoa how do you do it um so yeah they're really interested in in learning um how to prepare the items also and have you gotten any kind of like stupid questions or like almost like controversy by by setting up and and um uh you know having a presence in certain spaces not really we did have one person who um was kind of rude about to them this wasn't mexican food our food wasn't mexican food and we just explained as nicely as possible um that this is ancestral mexican food or ancestral foods in general indigenous foods prior to colonization prior to to things being integrated in our diets or things taken away from us so we really that's the only time we've got some some resistance because they were actually owned a mexican food restaurant and they're saying no i know mexican food i know you know but i told them like not everything has to be wrapped in a flour tortilla not everything has to be deep fried and not everything has to contain animal products and so um he left but <laughs> i was I, that was the only time i was kind of ticked off the whole time. <laughs> but um but we voiced you know that these are our traditional our ancestral foods that um you know, helped sustain and helped our ancestors thrive and survive. We we just had a meal of, of a couple of different um, really great, uh, great tasting um, uh, food items here. And throughout this this little dinner, you, you keep mentioning, um, you know, it's so hard to change your diet. It's so hard to, um, you know, get used to something else. Can you just expand on that just a little bit more? Yeah, I mentioned how like even within our own families, um, it's hard for people because it is food and the way food makes us feel is an emotional process and so even within my own family a lot of times are like uh years ago when they when we first started uh eating differently i was trying to help my parents reverse their diabetes and things like that they're like why are you trying to make us eat healthy why are you trying to make us eat vegetables and things like that and you know from simple enchiladas and having them be just plant-based and without cheese and without you know things like that it was hard for them it's like why why are you doing this and i was like well you have diabetes, you shouldn't be having that much, that many carbs or that many um, animal proteins that cause inflammation in your body. And so little by little, it's been a process, but I know a lot of people still feel very emotional to eating certain foods. What's one thing you think could um, help people maybe break that habit and start um, eating more plant-based things, more uh, maybe simpler things? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, even just like we think of the three sisters, like being squash and corn, like people think um, I've also heard some people. It kind of bugged me when they first heard them saying it, but they were saying it's poor people's food. And I was like, no, those are indigenous foods. Like these are what we survived. Our people have survived off of not poor people food. It's ancestral foods and making that distinction, because I think those are the foods that had the most nutritional value, the most content, you know, wise for our bodies and our bodies or people knew how to process them like with nixtamalization and things like that to be able to have our body process them better and easier so um so yeah i think it's just been trying to circle it back trying to make some conscious connection with people knowing to distinguish between what is processed or and what isn't what's what's better for you what's you know and it's, it, it is hard because a lot of people don't want to hear it <laughs> So it takes that conversation numerous times. Um, but really, I honestly feel like if it tastes good, then there isn't, they're not going to question it after. And so these are a few that I did um, 
with the integration of using nopales a lot, which are, I, I mean, I'm a, I strongly believe in the healing med, me, the medicine of nopales that help balance uh, blood sugars. So these are a few recipes that I had that are all contain nopales and that they actually help level your blood sugars. So I also called it healing your liver. And I could make, one of my favorites is a verde smoothie. So this is all um, using raw nopales, one cup diced or you could just um, slightly slice them diced pineapple one cup diced cilantro a fourth of a cup chia seeds two tablespoons water half a cup uh, one cup of, of raw spinach and agave and ice to taste so these usually i just blend it up um, really fast and you could actually that's really good if you're meal prepping also like you could just store them uh throughout the week and have them ready to go and they freeze really well just take here in phoenix you could take it out of the freezer and it melts by the time you're getting 15 minutes later right yeah. so but um my husband actually does this often where we'll i'll make a few and then uh, freeze them or take or he could just like drinking it fresh my daughters actually turn this into popsicles also in the summer and they love it so it's just adding slowly little by little adding uh the the nopales or the cactus into into a, a beverage um i also do a salsa uh, the nopal which is using again the diced nopales we use pears purple onion tomato jalapeño cilantro lime salt and pepper kind of like a pico de gallo but using the nopal as as well um i also do a variation of that with adding uh, pomegranate seeds as well so i've never i, I see nopal the, the big old leaf pads yeah. <laughs> at the grocery store uh-huh. in uh, Albuquerque. They're pretty um, readily available almost at every grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be, can I have some advice on how to handle it and how to bring it into my kitchen for the first time? Yes. So I would look for them already cleaned. Mm-hmm. If they're not already, I would just be careful when you handle them. And you could just kind of slice it off with a knife, like a fillet knife or something really pliable. Mm-hmm that you could get all the thorns off of. Usually you could find them already cleaned off. Um, I like to actually use them as raw as possible or in, in as many dishes as raw um, because raw of the texture. And because once they've been wet or processed, like left cut for too long, that's when the, the medicine or the, the, the slime of the, medis- uh, the plant will actually start oozing out. And that's turns people off sometimes <laughs> kind of like slimy okra yes <laughs> so that's where i like to complement that with an acid so using lime or even apple cider vinegar very little amounts of it could help counter the sliminess and help cut that so that's one way to i've had i mean i hear stories of people like in their childhood have like be traumatized from nopales because their mom <laughs> made them or things like that you know but it, and it's funny because i grew up the same way my mom would make them all the time and i would pick them out you know because it was green why is it in here you know <laughs> but as an adult i was like they're so good for you we all need to eat them and so i just try so once you cut into it is when the slime will start coming out or the the medicine will start um coming out of the the pad but the sooner you could eat it the better so you have a new space that you're working out of over at the um indian school can you talk a little bit about that yes i'm one of the uh first people to be using the the commercial kitchen over at the 
PISVC Center. So it's the Phoenix Indian School Visitor Center. Small commercial kitchen where I love it. So I've been able to cater out of there a few events, Indigenous wellness gatherings, different things um, throughout the city. A lot of groups have been using the space and I've been able to cater there for them. So um, I've been there probably almost, it'll be two years in the summer. Very good facility. Um, Right now, one of the maybe two people use it right now, (laughs) but it is available for people to rent out whenever they want. What does it mean for you to like bring indigenous food back to a place like that that has a history of pretty much stealing away the culture of indigenous kids who went there back then? Yes. You know, when I first went there, I I took my my I smudged the space. I, you know, I, I just in my own prayer, you know, asking the the spirits there in that space for permission to be there, you know, because I I do believe people, there's people there, you know, those spirits were there. Um, And I also know of now the the trauma associated with that. And so to me, it's like, how can I not only revive the ancestral foods, but reviving it there is significant to me because I know a lot of healing still needs to happen in that space. And so one way is through the food. One way is through, you know, even sharing from with my children in, in our language, they're named in their traditional language. And then just showing them like, look, mom works here. Look, you could come see the pictures of the kids and explaining even to them what happened, you know? And so it's, it's a, it's a tough, it's a, it's, it's tough because I know people have very, are still hurt and still healing from that process and that traumatic experience with the boarding schools. But I know there's others who really celebrated and say they had a good experience. And maybe it was because they were a later, I guess I should say an earlier generation that went through the system. Um, but it, there's still so much healing that has to happen there. So I really, I'm really, I really like the space and feel comfortable in it. And I just hope that the, li- the little work I'm doing <laughs> makes the, the ancestors there happy as well. Um, so, so you're cooking those same kind, these same kind of foods over there? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, same kind of foods, but for over a hundred people at a time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell me a little bit about like the indigenous food scene here in Phoenix. I know you asked me about the indigenous food scene in Albuquerque, yeah. and I like, that was like a two-minute conversation. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is it like here in uh, Phoenix? You know, here I know there's a lot of people in the area that have been working for years in the scene. Um, I, for for us and with Sana Sana, we're we're fairly new to the scene, but I've been doing this work for the past 15 years. Um, so we weren't as visible, I guess you could say. But working with many here in the area, there's there's quite a few. I mean, you have our Autumn relatives who have a few people. Um, some from Pueblo, you know, that, that all, I mean, Phoenix is such a, it's an urban indigenous city. So there's people from all over here. And so um, I'm glad just to be able to, to share our food or from my lineage and, and make that difference and distinguish what's ancestral and what's not. And, um, you know, while we were having our dinner here, we mentioned fry bread um, a little bit. You know, it's a controversial, controversial um, uh, food. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? And what are your thoughts like serving this food alongside, you know, right next door yeah. to, to food trucks who, you know, to the fry bread truck? Yeah, we've had that happen a few times. And uh, a lot of people asked, you know, well, we see the long lines for the food truck, and we know why, right? <laughs> it's all it's that comfort food uh, for many people. Um, but we just try to tell people, you know, 
well, of course, not to be preachy at all, but just sharing information as to why personally we don't we don't use we don't eat it. Um, a lot of times there's lard or different elements in it. Um, but we also try to sh- tell people if you want to fry bread, just make it with the better, better flour. You know, trying to eliminate the processed flours, uh, like mes- using mesquite or even almond flour or blue corn. You know, like there's so many things you could try to make it out of so that your body could absorb it differently. Um, mesquite in particular is also like helps level blood sugars. So if you ever want to use that, I actually make tortillas using mesquite flour and almond meal. So there's different ways you could try to tweak the recipe to just make it a little bit healthier. Yeah, cool. Um, I have a have a coworker who, who tries to um, do a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, she'll see a, a a brownie recipe, and she's like, "Oh, I think I'll just, you know, throw in some kale and yeah. throw in like a banana peel or something." <laughs> like that. And it doesn't really like come. It doesn't really, you know, compare to the original thing. Um, and I'm I'm always telling her, "Well, you can't call it a brownie. Just call it something else. Like you you invented something else. Yeah. Just list the ingredients and and serve it. Don't." Um, I think that's maybe one of the things people try to do is they try to do a quick, you know, mm-hmm. s- sub in sub out, and then just sh- still try to call it the same thing. Yeah. Do, do you agree with that? Or <laughs> that's funny because I think yeah, it's funny because I've, I've I know a lot of plant based uh, bakers, and so the same thing like a lot of times the recipes maybe not don't quite work out as well, but all just. I don't know. I think I think of it as like a mental block, you know, like you want you want that that gooey brownie. But it's like, why does it have to be made with zucchini and you know things like that? You can you still can. It's a flavor thing. And the same thing with the food that like I mentioned earlier, like it has to just hit that right. This amount of sweetness, like for a brownie in particular, Uh um, the sweetness factor that then will trigger that satisfaction. So I think as long as it tastes similar (laughs) and texture is huge too for people, especially with like sweets and things like that, Mm -hmm. like texture is a big thing too. So as long as it meets that, then I mean, I guess it could fly. Yeah. Yeah, And it's also kind of a mental thing too. I mean, there's so much goes into like what you're about to put in your mouth. Like I was just telling you about the insects, how I was trying to get ready to go to a big insect buffet by buying that sucker Mm -hmm. that had this (laughs) scorpion in it. And I still couldn't do it, even though it's encased in a bunch of sugar and it's Mm -hmm. been long dead. I just can't put my tongue on that. Yeah. Um, but another thing, you know, uh, this term plant-based, it seems like a lot of other people are kind of catching on. Um, what, what, what do you see um, yourself doing different than other people who are also using that term to um, describe, their, describe their food or their next diet? Yeah, I've, uh, this is one of the, the things I've mentioned or in, in some of my workshops, I mentioned the difference between uh, just plant-based ancestral and then what people know as a vegan lifestyle or diet, which a lot of times people are just supplementing with sugars and, and carbs to fill because of the, the void of not having anim, like animal protein. But I just really like to tell people like, you know, these are fresh ingredients that our ancestors left us, you know, things like that. Some of them, you know, trying to buy as organic as possible as well. But then also just saying, you know, initially, this is just how we ate. Yes, we hunted. Yes, we we gathered, but we didn't always have. We had ceremonies for for those hunts. We had process for things, you know, but a lot of times mainstream doesn't have that connection, that spiritual connection to the land like a lot of us do. So 
with I know it's a, it's hard to to explain that to somebody who doesn't have that connection and so I think for me I just tried to educate and tell them okay why don't you try making it this way you don't need gluten we don't make anything gluten on our food truck you know or catering um, we don't use we don't use that so you don't always need it you don't need uh, extra fillers so just trying to if you have to read a label I mean, there's items that you you do are are pro you have to you buy per processed. But the best thing that I try to tell people is try to eat things without labels, fresh as fresh as possible. Then you won't have to worry about your sugar spiking or you know within our community here, got diabetes, hypertension are huge. So one of the big things is just showing people how to read labels for one. And then two is just showing how you could balance things out within the diet. You know, sometimes it seems like, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you, you guys use just very little meat. You know, you said your husband goes out and hunts like once or twice a year. And you've gotten maybe comments from people who are like, oh, you know, from the vegan community. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, you you are using, you know, animal um, parts and that's not nice and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's it's kind of hard to maybe get through to to certain people, non-natives, especially, um, especially when we are talking about, you know, as, as people in this native food movement, we're talking about ourselves like we're focused on ourselves first. Do, do you see that happening? I mean, and, and then how inclusive can we be of non-natives? Yeah, that's hard because even, you know, I've heard, like you mentioned, I heard, you know, oh, you're not, we're about compassion. People have different reasons to be uh, vegan or plant-based and, you know, and that's great. Some for, for your health and some for the animals and things like that. But because I think there's not that what I think of as a spiritual connection to, like we mentioned, the land, the animals, the herbs, the you know, the plants, things like that. They don't get it. They won't. They're not. They're never. They might never. You know, they don't have to get it. <laughs> you know. And so, it's just knowing that you know we feel okay doing what we believe in and what we do. That's how we were shown to to pay to um, put prayers down and to honor that animal. You know. And a lot of times it's it's seen as you know oh, cruel and you're it's the you don't have compassion and things like that but you know a lot of people within that those that lifestyle don't have compassion for other humans and so that's my 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 big thing is like you know we were taught differently we all believe differently we're all working towards being better humans you know and so that's the real the big thing for me is the the fact that they don't understand the way we were taught they it, it's okay they don't have to but be a nice person about it, you know, <laughs> and don't judge people about it. Just like I'm just trying to share education on plant-based, on eating plant-based ancestral foods, but I'm not going to judge somebody for not doing it, you know, or even my family for not, you know, they're a lot nicer now <laughs> with it, but, and they understand and they're, they impl they're implementing dishes even on their own too. And so that's great, but it takes time. It takes time. And we're just all trying, wanting to be just better humans on this planet and take care of mother earth. Yeah, I always kind of like struggled with with that part of things. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I work in Native America. I talk to natives every single day. I surround myself with native people, but um, you know, and then sometimes when I'm out there, maybe talking to people about native food, I get questions like, "But what is it? You know, where can I find these things? You know, just just these these questions that um, you don't really get from from native people." Yeah, it's it's something that 
you know, as, as a person who just spends 99% of my time in my own native world here. And then I go out and I'm like, wow, you guys don't really know anything. But that's also part of my job too, as like a food writer is to educate everybody about it. Because first of all, educating ourselves about it would just make it, you know, just this beautiful world that we're all dreaming of because, you know, some, some little kid is going to get a hold of it and do something greater than we've ever done as, as adults now. But to also educate non-Native people to just understand it and understand where we're coming from even just a little bit and um, see this as important to us because I think a lot of people across America, no matter where they are, don't think food is that important. I mean, <laughs> and now we're starting to have like maybe an awakening to how important uh, food is and we're starting to be a little more um, curious about where food is. Um, what if you were to maybe give a definition of um your indigenous food like what would you say that's the one question i get (laughs) from from anybody is like what is it yeah i think for me because of the recipes are based on my mother's food this is my connection back to my mother she's no longer here she's in the spirit world and so that's how i could continue to live her legacy through my food yep and you get a different answer every single time (laughs) (laughs) where can we find you where can my listeners find you yeah so we are um we have a a food truck like we mentioned we also have our catering um services and i also do community workshops and demos so usually you could find us on the website it's sanasanafoods.com so it's s-a-n-a-s-a-n-a-f-o-o-d-s.com and also on instagram or facebook at the same and sanasana foods okay and all those will be links all over the website and show notes If you want to support the Toasted Sister podcast, tell all your friends about this show. Tell all your neighbors, tell your high school teacher, ooh, and tell your uncles. Editing help by Sol Traverso. Toasted Sister is supported by the Kiwanik Broadcast Corporation. It plays regularly on The River, that's R-I-V-R, Rising Indigenous Voices Radio on KCZY, Navajo Technical University's radio station, and on KGLP in Gallup, New Mexico. Intro and outro music was created by CWION. Check out this band's music on Bandcamp and at CWION.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Andy Murphy. Mm-hmm.